How are we supposed to work together if you won't trust me? A family in conflict. And then I go after Freeze and Ivy alone. She loves me and not you, and it's driving you crazy. One kiss. She wants to kill you, dick. It's my rules that keep us alive, and you will abide by them. <laughs> you must learn to trust him, for that is the nature of feminine. A legacy in danger. But I shan't be here forever. Alfred's not sick. He's dying. I can't believe it. I spent my entire life trying to beat back death. <laughs> but I can't, can I? None of us can. When Venom meets vengeance. Justice cannot fight alone. Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. I'm asking you, friend, partner, brother. Will you help me? Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, Alicia Silverstone, a Joel Schumacher film. Strength now. Partners? Partners. Courage always. Partners. Family above all. Batman and Robin. Culture Addicts, welcome back. Ooh, I don't know why I yelled that right there. To the new TNN podcast feed for the latest edition of Junkman, the show where we watch movies that are universally unloved. And uh, we decide, is it junk? What do you know? Is it okay? Uh, my name is Johnny C, and thanks for joining us. So, I have been, I've had this episode on the back burner as a title I kind of wanted to do. Uh, I didn't want to do it at first because I felt like it seemed super obvious, but then, given the information that's broken recently about James Gunn's DC initiative and uh, gods and monsters and some of the A-list film titles that are going to be coming out uh, before 2030, uh, I decided it's the perfect time to do this. So today on Junkman, we are going to take a look at 1997's Warner Brothers epic film, Batman and Robin. Oh, yes. So, I just, I can't even stop laughing from the get-go. Here we go. So, as we always do on Junkman, we like to give a little bit of background information on the film before we jump into it. So, uh, let's do that. So, as I mentioned, James Gunn's DC Films, they're doing this movie, The Brave and the Bold, which is going to tell the story of Batman and Robin. Uh, Robin, in this case, being Damian Wayne, the one, two, three, four, fifth Robin in the DC canon. 
after uh, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, and, uh, well, I guess Damien be number five. Carrie Kelly doesn't really count because she's sort of an Elseworlds Robin, so deal with that, all you Carrie Kelly fans. Um, this film does not feature Damian Wayne, that being Batman and Robin, and we'll get there. But since that's such a, a big topic right now, I was like, let's take a look at the, the I don't want to call it the first incarnation because we've got the Batman 60s TV show, but the first big screen, real full-on team-up. Of course, Robin appears in Batman Forever, uh, but it's mainly not uh, the Robin we all kind of know until the third act, and, I mean, he's barely in it. So this is our first real introduction to Robin on the big screen as a full-time character. Why else am I doing this? I'll tell you exactly why. I've spent uh, the last couple of weeks reading Tom Taylor. Let me repeat that name for you so you can put it in your Google machines or your Comixology machines. Tom Taylor uh, took over Nightwing during the DC Rebirth era, which started a couple years ago. And uh, holy shit, Tom Taylor's Nightwing is like the best comic ever. In quite some time. Not only is the art spectacular, the characterization of Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, all of the Titans, basically anybody that shows up is top notch, and I'm kind of a fucking obsessed with it, as you will. And anyone who's followed the new TNN podcast feed for a long time knows whenever I talk about comic book characters, Robin is my most desired character to see adapted to the big screen. So am I happy about the Brave and the Bold? Well, sure I am. Of course, I wanted to see the Dick Grayson Robin. I think that's a more interesting dynamic. But hey, fuck it. I don't get paid the big bucks to make big Hollywood blockbusters. This film is directed by Joel Schumacher, who also directed The Client, The Phantom of the Opera, and 1995, I mean, amongst a lot of other things, but also 1995's prequel to this film, Batman Forever, which starred Jim Carrey as the Riddler for some reason. I mean, don't get me wrong. I get it. I know why. But that is not the Riddler. This film was written by Academy Award winner Akiva Goldsman. He did not win the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for Batman and Robin, unfortunately. This movie stars a lot of fucking people. It's a laundry list, and I like laundry. So here we go. Batman and Robin stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. As Dr. Victor Freeze slash Mr. Freeze. Fun bit of trivia. I don't, I don't put a lot, a whole lot of stock in the Internet Movie Database. I usually go there once just to look at... Uh, well, I steal a plot synopsis uh, for a lot of fun because they're written very terribly. And, uh, you know, I make sure I get the writing credits usually correct and what have you. Uh, but at the same time... I, I did fall into a black hole of the trivia. So just a bit of trivia for you on this Mr. Freeze character. Uh, according to Joel Schumacher, his second choice was Sylvester Stallone. Not a big surprise there. His third choice? Can someone travel back in time to 1996 when they were casting this and jumping into heavy production and maybe abduct Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone so they can't be found? Don't do anything bad to them, okay? Just get them out of Hollywood so no one... So, you know, when the casting directors are like, oh, we really want Sly for Mr. Freeze, or oh, we really want Arnold Schwarzenegger for Mr. Freeze. That's more of a Joel Schumacher impression. They can't be found because Joel Schumacher's third choice, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> what killed the dinosaurs, dude? I think it's the Ice Age. <laughs> God 
So be on the lookout for some random Hulk Hogan interpretations of Mr. Freeze quotes throughout this podcast. George Clooney and his bobbing head as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Take a shot every time George Clooney's head bobs uncontrollably. Now, I tried to do some research to see if Mr. Clooney perhaps suffered from an affliction uh, like myself of like Tourette's or Parkinson's because I don't want to make fun of the man, okay? Because that's not cool, all right? I think it's a choice that Mr. Clooney makes in a lot of his films. His head bobs quite a bit. So just be on the lookout for George Clooney's bobbing head. Although I will admit freely, oh man, I was stoked when George Clooney was cast as Batman and uh, Batman. I only knew him from from Dust Till Dawn, and I was like, this is going to be the best Batman movie of all time. Chris O'Donnell from that show with L. Cool J stars as Richard Dick Grayson and Robin. Uma Thurman. As Dr. Pamela Isley slash Poison Ivy. Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson. Who the fuck is Barbara Wilson? Slash Batgirl. Oh, you mean Barbara Gordon? Well, we'll talk about it. Michael Goh as Alfred Pennyworth, the Batman's butler. Sorry for all you fans of uh, Pennyworth, the origins of Batman's Butler TV show on HBO Max. All five of you, because it just got canceled. Where's my little sound machine? Hold on. It's here somewhere. The folks who are fans of Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's Butler, deserve more than a cheap imitation. Sorry, it got canceled. There we go. All right. So, L. McPherson as Julie Madsen. That's all we need from you. The legendary Pat Hingle returns to be the only person to be in all four films along with Michael Goh as Commissioner Jim Gordon. Vivica, a fox, appears here as Misbehaven. I think it's an original character. Well, it's an original thing. I don't know that it's much of a character, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Legendary actor from Gremlins 2, amongst other things, John Glover as Dr. Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. the Floronic Man. What a missed opportunity. Hey, do you guys... I feel like Harry Carey. Hi! Hi! You guys want to go on a fantastic voyage with Coolio? We'll just watch Batman and Robin. Hey! Because Coolio appears as banker. Jesse the Body Ventura's in this movie, Monsoon. He appears as Arkham Guard. Uh Uh-oh. Pretty low on the hierarchy of important film characters. You don't even have a name. And finally, rounding out this all-star cast, the ultimate solution, Jeep Swenson as... Bing. Oh, yes, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I suppose you're not Hollywood yet, but Hulk Hogan, I've been recruited by a Kevin Sullivan uh, to enter a dungeon of doom uh, to act as the ultimate solution against Hulkmania. Yes, I'm Bane, and I'll be appearing throughout this podcast as well. Now, of course, thanks to Internet Movie Database, or the Internet Movie Database, we have a plot summary. Credit for this plot summary goes out to username Blazer. 
346. Blazer, thank you for your service. For quite, and I'm going to read it verbatim, okay? And with their pu- intended punctuation. For quite some time, the dynamic duo of Batman and Robin work to continuing the mission of protecting Gotham City from evil forces. But now, their relationship is challenged when they must fight the villainous duo of Icy Mr. Freeze and Venomous Poison Ivy, who seek to freeze Gotham and repopulate it with mutant plants. Isn't that the same thing the Republicans are trying to do? Uh, That was an ad-lib. At the same time, the heroes must find a way to cure their sick butler, Alfred, while they also receive some help from new heroine, Batgirl. All right. So, just a little bit more backdrop here. How did Johnny C. feel about this film when it was released? Holy fuck me, I was super excited for this one. I remember I heard somehow that the trailer for this movie was going to debut on an episode of Entertainment Tonight. Well, I dusted out a tape, put it in the old tape recording machine there, and taped the entire episode of Entertainment Tonight just to watch the trailer. And I watched it a lot. And it bums me out because the trailers for this film are a little misleading. Because not only do they feature Elliot Goldenthal's score from Batman Forever, but they also use the Danny Elfman score from Batman and Batman Returns. So I'm like, Madam, it's George Clooney's Batman, but they're playing Danny Elfman's music. This one's going to be really good. I was excited for George Clooney. I was also excited for Arnold Schwarzenegger, Subi. All right? In my kid brain, the kid, I was 13. In my brain at the time, I was like, oh man, they're bringing in Schwarzenegger to play Batman and Robin. This this Batman film is going to be the most important one of all time. They fucking broke the bank. They paid Schwarzenegger $25 million to be in this movie. That's like the biggest salary an actor ever got for a film. Until Schwarzenegger broke the record for Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Talk to the hand, if you will. Um... So, I I was stoked for this movie. I was hyped up quite a bit. When the film was theatrically released, I went and saw it on opening day. And you know what? I saw it four more times. In my head, it was better than Batman Forever. Is it, though? Well, that's what this journey is going to seek to find out. Now, this entire podcast could be nothing but ice puns, okay? I'm sure I will promote some individual Mr. Freeze lines that I love, but one of the missions of this show is to track every Mr. Freeze line that is not a reference to temperature, ice, being cold, being frozen, shit like that, okay? It's a big umbrella, but we're going to track every line, and we're going to give it a numeric value. It'll all make sense here in a moment, but I want to track every Freeze line that isn't related to ice and see if we can really dive into the core of this character. Because the ice puns have to be a show that he's putting on, right? Oh, I've got to get up and dressed up today and be Mr. Freeze. I've got to show off for all of my hockey thugs as well. I better put on a big show. Well, it's a big show! I don't know why that happened. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Right away, I'm impressed. The Warner Brothers logo morphs, which we were obsessed with in the 90s, into a frozen Batman logo. Much like the Christopher Nolan epic The Dark Knight Rises. Hey, do you remember who else is in The Dark Knight Rises? I think, perhaps, legendary film director Christopher Nolan is a fan of Batman and Robin. Say, 
Christopher Nolan, this is Bain interviewing you for the new TNN podcast. Welcome. Have a seat. Uh, Mr. Christopher Nolan, is it true that all of your protagonists, including protagonists from Tenet, very clever addition, I must say, all of your protagonists wear suits because Bruce Wayne always wears a suit, and you're a big fan of Batman and Robin. Please answer the question. Uh, well, oh, that's all the time we have, Christopher Nolan. Thank you for your answer. It was clearly yes. Now let's get back to my uh, co-host, Johnny C. Johnny, take it away. Thank you, Bane. The opening credit sequence takes place in some sort of nebulous galaxy or some sort of a, a cosmic storm. It's a red sky. Now, long-time DC Comics fans know that if you're living on the DC Earth and the skies turn red, that means a crisis event is imminent and you better fucking shelter down while the superheroes try to save the multiverse. Is this Joel Schumacher's version of a crisis? Crisis in Gotham City? Crisis of the Snow Cone Shack, perhaps. I don't really know, but it's something I wanted to point out. Now, the credit sequence kind of fucking rules. Every name flashes towards the screen and forms with these crazy letters that sound like fucking Scott Steiner's armor as they fly by. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then it zooms into the background for the next name to appear. Now, each character gets their own unique noise. Arnold Schwarzenegger's name gets the sound of Mr. Freeze's freeze gun. Okay. George Clooney gets the sound of the Batmobile. Chris O'Donnell gets the sound of Robin's motorcycle, the Red Bird. Uma Thurman gets a sultry... Ah. Like an over 18-year-old woman discovering masturbation for the first time. Ah. That's okay. Poison Ivy's very sexual, very toit. I like it. Uh, Batgirl... Alicia Silverstone gets just a regular motorcycle, so not enough uniqueness between Robin's noise and Batgirl's noise. The music peaks, and out of the red skies come some flying symbols. First the Batman symbol, and then, well, the Robin symbol, question mark? Well, here comes our first point of contention. In this film, Robin wears a unique uniform. He wears Nightwing's uniform with a cape. And, of course, the logo's red, which Nightwing would later adopt in the comics, so that's cool. It's usually a lighter, like, blue. I miss the R, though. I feel like you can't do this if you, unless it's Nightwing. Now, that's the comic fan in me. I don't think anybody else gives a shit. Like, your average filmgoer wasn't like, oh, what's with the symbol? It was just an excuse. Maybe we could sell a toy. Oh, wait. We shouldn't be a fucking nerdy guy wanting to sell the toy. It should be a corporate suit. <clears throat> yes, yes. Uh, thank you for the uh, you know inviting me to the Batman and Robin discussion of action figure-related entertainment. My name is Concrete Man. And, and what I think we need to do is we need to get a couple of different versions of Robin. All right? The little boy with the, with the, with the dick thing. All right? Yeah, he's, 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 he's got a huge Robin cock. I saw it in uh, Batman Forever because a little bit of, of research for this entertainment vehicle. And, and, and Chris O'Donnell's wearing a, uh, a gymnastics uniform of some sorts, and he's got a big cock. So we need gymnastics cock Robin. We need uh, Robin with like a bird over his chest because that's what he is. And maybe that little R thing as well. So we can sell three different Robins. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, I have another meeting to attend. Uh, just send me five cents for every Robin sold, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. The two logos interconnect, and we get Elliot Goldenthal's bum 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 b
from Batman and Robin. Smash cut to Batman and Robin getting dressed up to go fight crime. A lot's been said about their ass cheeks. I'm not going to add anything else to it. But this tells you right away what this film is. Okay? That's fine. Alright? Like, I want to make something very clear. I'm totally cool with the Batman and Robin, like, gay stuff. Alright? If that's how you want to interpret this film, fucking go for it. Alright? I don't necessarily think that was the mainstream intent. But let's not kid ourselves. George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell are two are two sexy swinging dick dudes, alright? If they're fucking, rock and roll! Obviously, Robin is old enough, uh, so there's no fucking uh, police coming after me on that one, okay? I'm just saying. But it's there if you want it. Rock and roll. Uh, I will say this montage... I like the part where they put on their masks. Robin puts on his mask and like they zoom in on his eye and it's like, oh, Robin. And then Batman snaps on his fucking cow like, Pussum! there's a big snap noise. Yes, George Clooney's head's bobbing, but it's kind of cool. The boys go stand in the center of the Batcave while the Batmobile emerges from the center. Oh boy, this Batmobile. It's got some purple lights on it. That's fine. Here's my biggest problem with it. This film is called Batman and Robin. This Batmobile has one seat. So it's literally the first Batmobile that can only fit Batman. All the other Batmobiles had multiple seats. So Robin can't even sit in this one. Plus, there's no roof. So so not only does Batman look like one of those cheap like plastic toys that you would buy. It's like, oh yes, look at our Batman and Robin car toys. Here's Batman and his head's gigantic and the car's tidy here's mr freeze you know that's what he looks like but if somebody shoots like a missile at him or a gun with bullets wouldn't you want some armor surrounding you bats oh well the batmobile fully emerges and the film's dialogue begins i want a car chicks dig the car george clooney spikes the camera as batman this is why superman works alone And then some trombone on the music goes (laughs) to let you know if the asses didn't let you know what you were in for, the trombone's here to tell you. Let's let's see what that full uh, line of dialogue sounds like when delivered. All right. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. I mean, that's pretty much what it does. That's fine. All right. Fun trivia note, did you guys know that the Superman that George Clooney is talking about is Nick Cage's Superman from the upcoming Superman Lives? God, I wish they would have made that movie. Just for the fuck of it. Batman flies off. Is his costume purple, too? I'm very colorblind. I don't know. It's fine. It just, whatever. Uh, next emerges the Red Bird. So you have to wait for the Batmobile to go zooming away before you can get to the Red Bird in this configuration. And it just seems like a poor use of time. I love, though, Dick Grayson and Alfred's relationship. They were pretty good in Batman Forever. You know, he he looks over at Alfred. Don't wait up, Al. Oh, cancel the pizzas, young Master Cock. I mean, Master Dick, excuse me. You know, it's, it's cute. It's cute. The Dick, Dick Grayson and Alfred always have a great relationship, okay? All this movie's faults aside, Michael Goh rules as Alfred, and I like the Dick Grayson-Alfred interplay. Now, as the Redbird zooms away, though, we get a close-up of Alfred, and the man is in pain. Is it the dialogue? No. 
Alfred is sick with Ewan McGregor syndrome, which we'll get into. But at this point, we just see Alfred. It kind of looks like he's passing a hard shit, like a bloody stool. But he's like, Now we're in the tunnel, and I promise the entire podcast won't be this bit by bit, like every minute of every scene. But there's so much to digest here. Batman and Robin are zooming down the tunnel, and Batman gets a FaceTime call from Commissioner Gordon, who's in an old-timey cop uniform. Uh, Batman doesn't say hello. Commissioner Gordon doesn't say hello. It's clearly a pre-recorded video, and it loads up. And I have written down Commissioner Gordon's line verbatim, and I will be performing it as a legendary Pat Hingle. <coughs> Batman, a new villain has commandeered the Gotham Museum. He's frozen the Antiquities Wing. He's turned the security guards into blocks of ice. He's calling himself Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Batman stares off into oblivion as he drives. Mr. Freeze. And we cut to the museum. Bum, ba, 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 la, la, ba, ba. I like the exterior design. I like this Gotham City, God help me. It's Joel Schumacher's designs, and I'm digging it. <laughs> we enter the Gotham Museum. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Batman and Robin, the Broadway musical featuring Mr. Free. This set is huge. This set is an accomplishment. This set is Batman and Robin, the musical. I mean, this set is insane. There are all sorts of crazy statues everywhere. The ground is frozen, because I guess Mr. Freeze had his way with it. And there's a gigantic dinosaur statue. It's a brontosaurus or a brachiosaurus or whatever the fuck it is with the long neck. It's a long neck! Anybody else traumatized by the uh, Land Before Time? I almost called it the Little Mermaid. Uh, but this, it's a sight to behold. Like, if you haven't seen the movie, first of all, what do you do? Listen to this. Go watch it. But it's, it's, it's a sight. I want to know the price tag on this set. We meet Mr. Freeze, who kind of doesn't look like Mr. Freeze. Fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger's painted up like he's one of the Na'vi. Um, It looks dangerous, to be honest with you, this makeup. The suit is way too big. There's no fucking dome over his head. I mean, there is a dome. He has, like, a pointy top that's see-through, but there's no, like, encasing dome that would mask his voice like this. You can hear him, clear. Stay. Why does he sound like Bane? There's too many impressions on this show. Um, as we meet Mr. Freeze, he's standing completely still, frozen, if you will, on the steps of the Gotham Museum inside. Some security guards are running towards him, yelling, Stop! Stop or we'll shoot! He's not moving! He then moves and freezes these guys with some 1997 CGI. I'll say this, the CGI ice is passable enough, but the fucking freeze ray itself looks like a living cartoon. In this universe, there's only one absolute. Everything freezes. Now I will say, it's time to introduce our running concept for this show. Mr. Freeze line number one. When Mr. Freeze sees a giant diamond he's come to steal at the museum, he says, Oh! Orgasm, fart he's been holding in since the important business meeting started, or joy at seeing a diamond, your call. Batman jumps through the ceiling and lands on the dinosaur's head. Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. I want someone to redub this scene because Batman slides down the dinosaur's neck. And they're playing the Batman theme. I want 
Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. <laughs> You're not sending me to the cooler. Batman and Mr. Freeze fight for a moment. Freeze gets the upper hand and Robin makes his entrance. He drives his Redbird motorcycle through the wall of the museum. Now, in a moment, Batman's going to yell at Robin for knocking over a vase. He's like, you break it, you buy it. You just broke the wall! It's okay, though. What I like about this is as he bursts through the wall, the wall explodes and forms the Robin logo. I like the brand synergy there, Dick. Well done. Batman and Robin struggle to get the diamond. We get Mr. Freeze line number two as he orders his henchmen, the hockey team from hell, to do his bidding. Ahem. <clears throat> Grab the gem! Kill the heroes! The hockey team from hell skates around Batman and Robin as they twirl their capes like it's a fucking Broadway show. I mean, watch it. They twirl their capes as the hockey team skates around them. I, it's fine. I'm just saying. They do. Mr. Freeze line number three. Yes! Kill them! Kill them! Yes! Destroy everything! Now, Mr. Freeze has frozen the ground, but yet the hockey team from Hell's all wearing rollerblades. Just double check. They are. Mr. Freeze goes to retrieve the diamond. And folks, Mr. Freeze brought his personal spotlight from home. Because as he's walking across the museum, he has a spotlight following him. It's his own spotlight. I don't know who's controlling it. Is it Frosty, the leader of the hockey team from hell? Possibly. Where did he get it? Why did he bring it? And why do I fucking love it so much? Mr. Freeze mounts the steps and beats the shit out of these security guards. He's a boss on the steps. He's like, oh, punch, punch, stab. He throws one dude through, through a glass container. It's pretty nice. The fighting here isn't terrible. Dick Grayson does athletic stuff. George Clooney tries not to fall. Whatever. Uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, like I said, he orders the hockey team from hell to fight Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin at one point fall over, click their heels together, and some ice skates come out of their boots. You get the ice. <laughs> no, you, nothing happened there. I was just letting it sink in. You get the ice. I'll get the ice, man. So Robin's been ordered to get the gem, and he does by playing hockey. He's got a stick. He skates around. He says, sweet, when he gets the diamond. It's fine. Uh, Mr. Freeze line number four. Mr. Freeze's freeze gun is stuck up on the ceiling, so he throws a security guard up, and he hits the gun, and it falls into his hands. He says, Oh, as he throws the guy. And then the guy makes the gun fall. He catches the gun and says, thanks. And the guy, the security guard, falls behind him like it's a Wile E. Coyote cartoon. Uh, Robin gets a diamond, as I mentioned. A freeze, though, has a plan to get the diamond back. He eyes up the giant dinosaur statue. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! He freezes the dinosaur statue. And a little earthquake starts to happen in this museum. I don't know what's causing the earthquake. Because I understand the statue's about to break apart and cause a bunch of chaos. But they're, like, everything is shaking. There's a goddamn earthquake. As the dinosaur statue falls apart, someone, some cheeky bastard in the sound editing department added a dinosaur's roar to the mix. Just watch. As the dinosaur's head falls, you hear... Uh, Robin loses the ice. One of the hockey team guys gets it from him. It's at this point when the gem, the diamond, is on the ice floor here at the museum. I noticed that the prop they're using for the ice in the museum looks like that plastic shit that computer chairs can roll on. All right, that that's fine. Mr. Freeze is in his freeze mobile that looks like a giant dildo with spikes on it. 
He made me fuck her! That's a seven joke. Mr. Freeze, line number five. Hit me, boys! One of the hockey team from hell shoots the diamond at Mr. Freeze like it's a fucking hockey puck. He catches it. Freeze, line number six. Ah, thanks for playing. (laughs) Mr. Freeze's dildo car turns into a dildo rocket. A rocket. What's the overhead on this, Mr. Freeze? No wonder you got to steal so many diamonds. How much does it cost to create a rocket car? Not like a car that's fast. A car that could turn into a rocket. It's fine. Uh, Mr. Freeze's uh, rocket flies off into space or into the sky. It's got the worst little sparks. Like It looks like a sparkler when it ignites. Fuck that giant like burst of flame that real rockets have. This is pathetic, okay? I think it burst through the same window that Batman already shattered, by the way, but that's fine. And that's fine, okay? Batman gets onto the rocket. Robin wants to get onto the rocket. A rocket Robin, a tweet, a tweet, a tweet. Where's my cell phone? That's my ringer. Anywho, Robin does a little pole dance. He spikes a giant pole into the ground and fucking he does some gymnastic Robin flipping. Like he, the, the leap on this man. Oh, he does the pole dance earlier. This is where Robin runs off the side of the steps and leaps onto the rocket like he's Spider-Man. I didn't know he was a metahuman, but that's fine. Batman enters the rocket as it's flying in the Gotham skies. We get Mr. Freeze line number seven. Ah, I was hoping you'd drop in. And he punches Batman, making him his bitch. Mr. Freeze, while we're in this rocket, at least has on his Mr. Freeze goggles. It's a boss move. Mr. Freeze is steering the rocket ship. We get Mr. Freeze line number eight. Now, when I say steering, he's like moving like a control stick that's going, and Mr. Freeze says, oh, yes, oh. He's very excited. Uh, Mr. Freeze freezes Batman against the wall. We get uh, Mr. Freeze line number nine as he points to the altimeter, or the altimeter. Watch the numbers, Batman, for they are the harbingers of your doom. And then he says, this is not an official freeze line that we're counting. At 30,000 feet, your heart will freeze and beat no more. See, we can't count that one because he says freeze. Batman says, freeze, you're mad. Mr. Freeze line number 10. Ha! That's, that's it. He tells Batman to freeze well, and he jumps out of the plane, presses a button on his suit, and Mr. Freeze not only brought his traveling spotlight, but he brought some wings. His suit deploys wings. It's fine. Robin arrives. He's got a laser. These guys just have lasers. And he melts the ice. Batman puts a bomb on this fucking rocket. Robin has a dynamite line. A bad bomb! Surf's up, though. Because they have to blow up this rocket. And they use the escape doors to sky surf through Gotham City. The CGI here hasn't aged well, but the cape works not bad, I suppose. The, the rocket explodes behind our heroes as they sky surf like they're the goddamn Ninja Turtles. At one point, Robin gets the diamond from Mr. Freeze and yells, Kilbunga! Mr. Freeze is falling because Batman took his wings, and uh, he has an idea. There's a giant smokestack that he freezes, I guess, so he can land safely. If you don't know what Mr. Freeze is doing, though, don't worry. The script has Robin let us know what's happening as he yells as he's falling through the skies of Gotham City. He's freezing the furnace! All three of our heroes fall into this smokestack, which is no longer dangerous. Mr. Freeze starts running through this smokestack. 
Uh, somebody needed to tell Robin's stunt double not to spike the camera because as Batman and Robin land, Robin turns behind him and it's clearly his stunt double. They chase Mr. Freeze through this thing. Uh, Batman gets stuck behind a door. Robin's like, hey, it's cool, Batman. I got this. And he dives at Mr. Freeze while holding the diamond. George Clooney yells, Robin, no! And Mr. Freeze freezes Robin. Stay cool, bird boy. That's not an official Mr. Freeze line, but this is Mr. Freeze line number 11. Mr. Freeze is escaping because the fucking dildo car bursts a hole through the door. And he looks over at Batman and says, Freeze line number 11, What will you do? Chase the villain or save the boy? Ha ha! Your emotions make you weak. That's why this day is mine. Ha ha ha! I'll kill you next time. Uh, Mr. Freeze then freezes the hole in the wall and like rubs the condensation off of it and does a dainty little wave to Batman. It's tremendous. Uh, Batman puts this mannequin of Robin, because holy shit, it's just a mannequin, into some water, lights it up with the laser, unfreezes him. Robin emerges safe and sound from the water and says, Did we get him? This is the first, as many times as I've seen this movie, this is the first I've ever noticed this. George Clooney's head bob comes back because the camera goes to Batman in response to Robin's question of did we get him, and he kind of shakes his head like, Nope, we sure didn't. Smash cut to South America! That is a hell of a transition. And folks, don't worry. I'm well aware we've only covered 15 minutes of the actual movie, so I will try to pick things up a little bit. This South American Research Lab is where we're at, and we meet Dr. Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Uma Thurman, with glasses, a ponytail, and paint on her overalls. Oh, look at that! She's got paint on her overalls! Dr. Isley is conducting some research here where she's been trying to breed animal-plant hybrids. So we see, a, we see a bunch of snakes crawling around her lab, and she's got this vase, like this glass case, like the Beauty and the Beast rose, and it's like a flower with a snake mouth. It's a puppet. I kind of love it because it's so dumb, but it is so dumb. She's also dictating into her little personal recorder, you know, giving us her backstory. Uh, she could be making a podcast, though. Oh, do you think it'll ever see the light of day? Probably not. Her big problem is that she needs the chemical known as venom. Venom is a proprietary concoction that she's made that I guess helps breed these animals together. And she's got a dynamite marketing team. Vince McMahon himself would be jealous because anytime we see uh, a vat with venom in it, there's this venom logo and it's like, venom, venom here, get your venom. Hey, did you get a venom? Extra, extra, read all about it. Venom sails through the roof. Um, but Dr. Jason Woodrue, her associate, keeps stealing all her venom. She's like, you know what, podcasters, or you know what, loyal TNN listeners, thanks for listening to the Pamela Isley podcast. I'm going to break into Gilgamesh Wing. Ooh, isn't that sound spooky? The part of the lab he never lets me in. So she breaks in, and her partner, Jason Woodrow, is John Glover, Daniel Clamp from Gremlins 2. Uh... Uh, Dr. Woodrow would become the Floronic Man in DC Comics. Basically like a... I don't want to call him a female Poison Ivy because he's like an actual plant dude that, that spray paints skin over himself to look like a human. Comic books! But Dr. Woodrow is hosting a meeting of what he calls the Un-United Nations. Ooh. And John Glover is hamming it up. I, I read an interview doing some research where uh, he said that every time... 
uh, before director Joel Schumacher would call action on a scene, he'd be like, remember, we're making a cartoon and action. And John Glover took it to fucking heart. Now, what the hell is a meeting of the ununited nations? Dr. Woodrue is, you know, basically showing off what Venom can do to the ununited nations. There is a murderer's row of stereotypes watching from an observatory area, okay? We've got an American general or a colonel or a fucking whatever. Uh, a lady from the Soviet Union, because she's wearing one of those fucking George Costanza hats that cost like ten grand that he loses at that lady's apartment. You know, like a big fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger red heat hat. Uh, there's a sheik. Not saying anything else. Uh, there's a dude cosplaying as Castro. Uh, there's a representative from the uh, free nation of Wakanda. And a Japanese man in a business suit. Woodrow's like, so, ununited nations, you're going to be bidding on what I'm about to show you. Oh, but don't forget, here on my cordless telephone, because it's 1997, we've got a mystery bidder. I heard rumor pray tell the mystery bidder was supposed to perhaps be Lex Luthor from Superman Lives. Again, creating a shared cinematic universe. God, George Clooney's Batman versus Nick Cage's Superman. And now you got to imagine Batman's head bobbing the entire time and Nicolas Cage looking stoned as this is delivered. Oh, this is a seed from Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. <clears throat> Superman is confronting Batman and telling him to stop. <clears throat> Here we go. The bat, the bat's dead, man. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me, head bob, head bob, head bob, head bob, head bob. Do you bleed? Head bob, head bob, head bob, head bob, head bob. Superman flies away. See you, dick! George Clooney looks to the sky. Head bob, head bob, head bob. You will. Thus concludes this version of the new TNN's Play Actors Theater, I suppose. Anywho, uh, Jason Woodrue has like a tiny murderer guy that he's been experimenting on. Uh, this guy will become Bane, even though the... Is not the same name as Bane? Uh, I don't know. He basically ties up this little guy to a fucking torture rack and inserts venom into him, and we get some bad CGI muscles come into this Bane character. I mean, he looks like Bane straight. I will give the movie credit. Bane looks ripped directly from the comic books. The special effects are awful. But one minor difference in the Batman and Robin version of Bane versus the real version of Bane. <clears throat> the Batman and Robin Bane has a massive spiked codpiece. Again, spiked dick paraphernalia running rampant all over the fucking world of Batman and Robin. And that's fine. I kind of love it because it starts tiny and it gets bigger as Bane gets bigger. Because, you know, that's a thing and everything like that. Um... Dr. Woodrow's like, I call him Bane. You know, like Bane of humanity. Sure, that works. That's why we'll call him Bane. Uh, he wants to show off for the Ununited Nations, and he presses the Venom injection button on Bane's little fucking console, and he's like, all right, Bane, show off for daddy. Uh, some members of Jason Woodrow's, like, gang fight Bane. I'm going to call them the Floronic Posse. And Bane just murders the Floronic Posse. But uh, he tosses one of them over where Pamela Isley is hiding. And Dr. Woodrue 
finds Pamela. He's like, oh, Pamela, what are you doing here? But it's so nice to see you. I'm sorry I have to do this, Pamela, but you see, our original benefactor cut the funding. He didn't want to do military applications for Venom, so, you know, I had to turn to the ununited nations. Dr. Isley, you know, gets all hoity-toity and high and mighty. She's like, oh, you're a monster. You've taken my Venom and you've turned it into some sort of harebrained scheme for world domination. When I get through with you, you won't be able to teach high school chemistry. Now look, this performance is not what I want from Poison Ivy. However, I've come to appreciate all the sides of Uma Thurman, and that's not a sex joke, in this movie. Because this nerdy Pamela Isley, she's kind of hitting it spot on, you know? Now, John Glover, ladies and gentlemen, is the standout of this picture. He looks dejected after hearing these words from Dr. Isley and with a complete straight face delivers one of his many iconic lines. Well, I can respect your opinion. Sadly, I'm not good at rejection. I'm afraid you'll have to die. And he like pushes her over a table into some chemicals and, and snakes start crawling over and then he dumps a vat of venom onto her. And folks... After dumping these chemicals onto Pamela Isley, she's unconscious. Like I said, a snake ravaging her body. Oh, hold on here. i got to take a break. The earth opens up and swallows Pamela Isley. The table, the chemicals, the snakes just starts to swallow it whole. Now, this makes zero sense, but the script is aware of it. And the script tells John Glover, as Dr. Jason Woodrow, the Floronic Man, to start narrating the scene. And he does. Yes. Yes, let the poisons and toxins burn a grave for you, deep into the earth you love so much. Yes, keep falling. All right, now earth, just close up. All right, very good. Doesn't look like anything happened. Bye-bye. And he scurries away to continue his salesmanship. Back in the bat cave, Robin has his feet in some warm water, drinking a hot chocolate. Like, oh dear, Master Dick, you had such a—you've got—you're going to catch cold. Stay warm here as we review the security video from two years ago. Bruce has a security video pulled up. We see Arnold as Doctor Victor Freeze. Now we know he's a doctor because he's got glasses and a lab coat. But you know what a demotion, though. Doctor Freeze busted down to Mister Freeze. Give yourself some more credit, Vic. You're a doctor. I don't care that you're wearing a fucking toy suit, okay? You're a doctor. You're not gloating. It's the title you earned. Victor is a two-time Olympic decathlete, you know, to explain why he can throw punches. And he's a Nobel Prize winner. So just your average Joe. His wife, Nora Freeze, contracted a rare disease called Ewan McGregor Syndrome. It's when your dick gets really big and you show it off in every movie you're in. No, it's just called McGregor Syndrome. Uh, trivia, named after producer Peter McGregor Scott. Um, so, there's no cure for McGregor Syndrome. So, Freeze is like, Oh, Nora, I've got an idea. I'm going to freeze you. And then I'm going to find a cure. And then I will wake you up by unfreezing you. And then I will inject you with the cure. And you will still be alive. Yes! <laughs> now, as Dr. Freeze is working on his lab shit... He's in front of a giant computer straight out of 1960, all right? It's like a word processor that's the size of an entire room. He's turning some knobs, and an explosion happens. Even though this is security footage, 
Arnold flies backwards in slow motion. And as he's flying backwards in slow motion, we get Mr. Freeze line number 12. <clears throat> now, the vat of liquid he falls into is 50 below. <laughs> There's no excuse for why he should be alive. So George Clooney simply says, he survived somehow, and the chemicals mutated his body. We get a close-up of Arnold on the security footage emerging from the chemicals. He still has hair. His face is like frozen with an icicle beard growing off of it. And we get Mr. Freeze line number 13. (laughs) This performance of Arnold moaning is amazing. You have to see it. Uh, and they wrap everything up being like, Robin's like, well, what happened to his wife? I don't know. She's presumed dead. Well, why does he keep stealing diamonds, Bruce? Well, Dick, you see, diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> Sorry, just a little superhero uh, humor for you. Actually, here's why he keeps stealing diamonds. Mr. Freeze has to keep his body cold. You know, because he's basically a living icicle at this point. Luckily, Bruce Wayne has the blueprints to Mr. Freeze's suit up on the heads-up display on all the big screens. I once asked ba- uh, uh, George Clooney how he got these blueprints. He looked me dead in the eye and simply replied, I'm Batman. The diamonds that Freeze steals powers his cryo suit. These diamonds create laser beams. And these laser beams keep Victor Freeze cold. So Bruce hatches a scheme. Hmm, I think we need the Wayne family diamonds. Are we going to trap a snowman, Bruce? Yes, yes we are. After you spend about ten hours in the danger room, Dick, you are reckless out there. And we get some more classic George Clooney head bobbing. Dick's like, come on, Bruce, you got to trust me, man. Jesus. And he runs away. Now, this movie has little going for it in terms of depth or seriousness. That's not to say it's not entertaining. But I will say this, the quiet moments between Michael Goes Alfred and George Clooney's Bruce Wayne are not bad. Okay? Alfred's like, "Well, Bruce, you keep fucking up. You see Batman may be all-knowing, but he's a novice in the ways of family." Which is sort of a storyline ripped straight from a comic book. Batman might be the world's greatest detective, the fucking peak of the human condition. He's kind of a deadbeat shitty dad. Bruce kind of laughs this off and, and bobs his head. Alfred continues, You must trust him, Bruce. That is the nature of family. I trust you, Alfred. Well, I shan't be here forever, Batman. Get it? Batman forever. Oh, <laughs> Master Bruce. Now, Alfred leaves, and Bruce looks down the hallway at Wayne Manor and has a flashback. The flashback is of young Bruce Wayne slipping in the hallway as a youngster in his little school uniform because he's running, trying to get somewhere quickly, just being a kid. A middle-aged Alfred, a middle-aged man with his hair slicked back and the same spectacles as a Michael Gow, walks out of a room to help little Bruce Wayne stand up. Now, middle-aged Alfred is just Michael Gow's voice dubbed over this guy's body, okay? And... He delivers a line that should not be funny. But years ago, a friend of mine 
told me that this line was the funniest thing in the entire movie. And now I can't watch this scene without laughing my tits off, all right? So middle-aged Alfred goes to help Bruce, and he's I'm laughing already. He says, oh, dear, Master Bruce, good gracious, what a tumble. <laughs> it's not funny. But oh, dear, Master Bruce, good gracious, what a tumble. <laughs> and he helps Bruce up, and Bruce kind of looks stoically like, hmm, you know, Alfred might actually die someday. Meanwhile, in South America, with the Floronic Man, he's talking to the mystery bidder. Because I guess the mystery bidder, Lex Luthor, won Bane. And he's like, oh yes, uh, Mr. Luthor, thanks for bidding on Bane. We'll get him shipped out tonight and he will arrive tomorrow by overnight mail. I mean, you're reading the script. Like, you, they give you the script. A lot of people that made this movie are like, well, you know, the script was good, etc. Well, this line's in the script, Okay. Will arrive by overnight mail. Another spontaneous earthquake happens. Remember, we had one in the museum earlier. And Uma Thurman busts out of the ground. She's in a skimpy version of her earlier attire. She's now, dare I say, super sexy. And she's rubbing herself. (laughs) And she's stretching to show off her new tum-tum. John Glover, ladies and gentlemen... And Pamela, I, John Glover and Uma Thurman have an exchange here. And I want to perform it for you because it's amazing. Dr. Isley? Hmm? Pamela? Mm-hmm. And then, dead serious, John Glover with an amazing line delivery with his mouth agape. You look great. <laughs> like, the delivery is amazing! Because the character of Jason Woodrue knows that what he is witnessing is the impossible. It defies all known laws of nature and common sense. This woman, who was dead, has burst from the ground by some sort of an earthquake-assisted movement, okay? But he's just, at the end of the day, he's just a guy, and he can't help himself. You look great. (laughs) Her retort, straight out of the Val Venus playbook, Hello, Jason. Now, Uma is doing a voice that sounds like, and forgive the phrasing, but I think it'll make sense after I say it. She's kind of sounding like a sultry dame uh, with a cigarette voice. The toxins have changed her. The toxins replaced my blood with aloe, my skin with chlorophyll, and filled my lips. Dr. Woodrow is now inching forward making cartoon dog poofy lips and making smoochy noises like (laughs) Dr. Isley kisses him and finishes her thought with venom. Dr. Woodrow starts to choke. Oh, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but I'm poisoned. Jason Woodrue dies. No, that's an exit on John Glover. Right on cue, we get some jungle music. It's like... It's like the music that would fill the nation of Wakanda if a bunch of white dudes made the movie in 1993. Okay? And she says, It's a jungle in here. So Poison Ivy is now an avatar of the green. Well, you know what? Let's... Let's actually just throw that one out there. That's what she's supposed to be. In this movie, she is, according to her, as she starts destroying the lab. I am nature's arm. Her spirit 
Hell, I am Mother Nature, and it's not nice to foo with Mother Nature. So I guess it's time for the plants to take over, okay? Like I said, she's burning down the lab, spilling chemicals everywhere. And she notices on one of the little beakers that there's a Wayne Enterprises logo. She's like, Wayne Enterprises? Hmm, maybe I should go to Gotham City. Then we smash cut the footage of Bane earlier when he spiked the camera and yelled, Bane! He's supposed to be like standing right next to her, but he isn't. He's clearly in the other room. And he just goes, I'm coming, Bane, darling. We've got a plane to catch. A screensaver of fire engulfs the screen. Because there is not a real piece of fire to be saved. They just literally put a fire screensaver over the camera. Or over the fucking uh, frame of film. And we smash cut to the abandoned Snowy Cones ice cream factory in Gotham City. How does no one know that this is Mr. Freeze's hideout? There is a portrait of a deformed Frosty the Snowman face on the building. And to make matters worse, there are multicolored spotlights shining on this abandoned factory like they're hosting a big time movie premiere on the uh, you know on the premises. And if the outside of this building sounds inside, let's head inside. Shall we? Inside the frozen tundra, Mr. Freeze is leading a team-building exercise with his henchmen, the hockey team from hell. Now, to give you a visual in case you haven't seen this film, Mr. Freeze is wearing some giant polar bear slippers, a gaudy blue robe, like a bathrobe with polar bears all over it. And ladies and gentlemen, he's smoking a blue ice cigar. And the team-building exercise, you ask? He's directing his thugs in a choral rendition of I'm Mr. White Christmas, I'm Mr. Snow, from the year without a Santa Claus. Now, the hockey team from hell is a little less than enthusiastic to be singing here. Because unlike Mr. Freeze, they're not... You know, a fucking living icicle. They're fucking cold in here. And they're all shivering like... Some of the thugs even have, like, frozen TV dinners stuck to their lips. Mr. Freeze is very disappointed in their performance. And we get some very poignant lines from the Freezer. Mr. Freeze line number 14. Sing! Sing! Come on, Sing! Louder! Come on! Sing! 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 Come on! Yes! Come on! Louder! And he just kind of gives up there at the end. And he's like doing the choir director hand motions. Come on! Sing! I don't know why this... Uh, I mean, look, man. This thing's been talked about ad nauseum. Like, I don't know what I could add to it. I don't know why this is here. I just... Would I take it out, though? Absolutely not. I don't want to live in a world where this was given to us and then take it away either, okay? Now, it's Joel Schumacher's version of Batman, okay? We've had Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and that means that every psycho supervillain comes equipped with a sexy lady sidekick. Two-Face 
had two of them. You might recall from previous adventures the characters of Sugar and Spice from Batman Forever. Sugar, played by legendary uh, Drew Barrymore. And Spice, played by legendary, uh, you know, that lady that tried to kill Beethoven in Beethoven's second. Chris Penn was hanging out with her. He's like, oh, geez, I don't think we should kill that dog Beethoven. And she's all like, Chris Penn, we're going to kill that fucking dog Beethoven. And then I'm going to wear his fucking head as a hat. She's kind of the nanny, but not the nanny. And she always looks evil. What's her fuck? Debbie Mazer. That's her name. I was, yes, I was stalling. Fuck you. <laughs> Anywho, Mr. Freeze has the lovely Vivica, a fox, portraying Miss Behaven. So is it Broomhilda Haven? Miss Broomhilda Haven? And, you know, I mean, hey, it works. Now, she's done up in some white lingerie, and she's got like a see-through coat on. She's not cold at all, apparently. And she desperately wants to get with Victor's Dictor. You know, because his name's Victor. Freezy, I'm feeling hot. Mr. Freeze line number 15. I find that unlikely. Um, She's making puns to Mr. Freeze about getting hot in the sack and shit like that. She's all like, what do you say we heat things up? Hmm? Now, it's time for Mr. Freeze line number 16. This was a tough call as to whether or not included or not included, because it really rides a thin line being a pun. But it's too important to his character development to leave it out. So here we go. My passion dolls for my bride alone. Mm. Talk about your cold shoulder. She then bumps him with her ass, and that's an exit on Vivica Fox. Oh, Vivica, you were great. Thank you so much. You know, the cheek kisses thing. Oh, I just, I can't wait to see you at the premiere. Thanks for coming here for one hour. Bye-bye. Mr. Freeze now needs to hold private console with his head thug. And he yells his name to summon him. Mr. Freeze line. Number 17. Frosty! Frosty appears, and he's freezing, but he's like, uh, yeah, boss, <laughs> what can I do for you there, Mr. Freeze, boss? He's just a cartoon, and, and you know what, it's fine, at this point we've established this film as a living cartoon, but why does he have to be like, hey, yeah, boss, what are we doing, we hitting over the liquor store, we gotta get some dames, <laughs> maybe get us some cracker jacks, <laughs> like, why does he have to be a 1920s thug? Oh, well. Now, Arnold is about to Take over the silver screen, ladies and gentlemen. He's practically about to do Hamlet with this soliloquy. He's got so much dialogue to carry as he converses with Frosty. He grabs some tiny diamonds and puts them into his freeze suit. And here we go. Mr. Freeze line number 18. Basically, his alas poor Yorick, or to be or not to be, if you will. Sorry, gotta get, gotta get, mmm, lion face, ah, lemon face, mmm, vocal exercises, you know? All right, here we go. Mr. Freeze inserts the diamonds into his suit. Ah, energy, battling the bat, exhausted my power, ah, but I was successful, nevertheless. One more giant diamond of this size, and my freezing engine will be complete, ha! Ah, I will freeze the city. Then I will hold Gotham ransom. Unless the city bows to my demands, 
It's winter forever here in Gotham. The city fathers will have no choice but to give me the billions I need to complete my research. So I can find a cure. Leave us. We need quality time. See, Mr. Freeze kicks Frosty out of his hidden room that's in his lair behind a freezer door. And we see Nora Freeze alive, but hovered in a suspended animation tank. And you know what? We get some haunting choral music like, And again, this is a small moment that is very focused, kind of like the moment uh, with Alfred and Bruce. And, and Freeze looks at her, and the score really picks up. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, this is what you want, right? I mean, cut every single thing out that we've talked about and isolate this snippet from the moment that Frosty leaves and Arnold just looks at Mrs. Freeze. And that's kind of what you want from a Mr. Freeze movie, right? Oh, I guess you have to fucking CGI some different clothes on him because he is wearing the robe. But... You know, this is free. This is Mr. Freeze 101, and I'm here for it. Mr. Freeze line number 19. Soon we will be together once more. Soon. We smash cut to stately Wayne Manor the next day, and there's a schoolgirl oh, ringing the doorbell. Bruce is like, Alfred? Alfred, you going to answer that? Alfred! You know, because Alfred's the, the, the servant. Uh, Alfred's a no-show, though, and Dick's like, I'll get it. However, I want to bring up the staging of this particular scene. As this gal rings the doorbell, we, like I mentioned, we cut to Bruce and Dick. What the fuck are these guys doing? They're both stand-up reading, okay? They both have books, and they're both reading them while standing up. Now, okay, you know, Sherlock Holmes or somebody's reading a book standing up. They're probably walking around in their study back and forth like, what am I missing? What is the clue? Like, I get stand-up reading, but you should probably be moving while you're stand-up reading. Not to mention, they're stand-up reading on different levels. Like, Bruce is on the ground floor and Dick is on, like, a fucking, I don't know, like a, 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 a rung above him? At, like, some sort of elevated library? Why? What's with the blocking here? What does this mean? What are they reading? I like to imagine... And again, I love Dick Grayson, okay? But I love to imagine Bruce is reading, like, some fucking... How to how to Beat Mr. Freeze book, and Dick's got, like, a fucking coloring book with pictures of, like, giraffes and ducks and shit. Because that's the way they, they treat these characters, okay? Uh, Dick goes to get the door. Alfred shows up like, Oh, Master Bruce, I'm so sorry. That's all right, Alfred. But I am going to dock your pay, you lazy bastard. Now, Dick opens the door, and the camera eye fucks Alicia Silverstone at 18 years old. Okay, as does Dick. Shades of Ricky Bobby's iconic line, Please be 18. Dick says, Please be for me. (laughs) That's okay. I'm looking for Alfred Pennyworth. 
She sees Alfred and runs into the room, completely uninvited. Uncle Alfred! Woo! Now, Michael Goh is a perfect old man relative excited to see a youngster. He's like, oh, dear Barbara, I'm so excited to see you. How did you find me? Oh, dear. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Barbara Wilson. She's a modified version of an existing DC Comics character, Barbara Gordon, who's gone through some shit, being once paralyzed by a Joker bullet, uh, confined to a wheelchair, taking on the superhero Gnome Diplom Oracle, and sort of being like everybody's tech genius. Of course, she's the original Batgirl, and in current continuity, she had some surgery to fix her spine and is Batgirl and kind of Oracle once again at the same time. Maybe about to wed a Dick Grayson. Stay tuned to Tom Taylor's Nightwing for more. But, uh, you know, this version of Barbara has some of the elements of Barbara Gordon. I mean, yeah, she'll eventually become Batgirl, but she's not Commissioner Gordon's daughter, obviously. She's still a gearhead. She's a quote-unquote tech genius, which we'll talk about at the rate this is going much later. But we will get there. Here she's Alfred's niece. Alfred explains to all of us, because we're all pretty confused here, because it's not his great-niece. It's his niece. Alfred's like, she's the daughter of my dear sister Margaret. My parents died five years ago in a car accident, so I'm an orphan too, guys. It's okay, I could be Batgirl. Now, I'm going to, I'm kind of bouncing here for a second, but later, we'll see a picture of Barbara's mother, Margaret. Margaret Wilson. Knee Pennyworth. And it looks like, according to this picture, folks, that Margaret, Barbara's mom, was possibly best friends with a Jay Gatsby. This is a portrait straight out of the Roaring Twenties. Barbara is way too young to be the child of this woman. But, you know, she is, so whatever. Uh, dear, dear Barbara, why are you here? Well, I'm on vacation. You see, I go to Oxbridge Academy interrupts Bruce Wayne. Barbara's like, oh shit, how'd you know I go to Oxbridge Academy? George Clooney's line delivery here is amazing because you could tell he knows it's the dumbest line ever. He says with a straight face in, in response to, how'd you know I go to Oxbridge Academy? It says so on the patch on your sweater. World's greatest detective, ladies and gentlemen, truly. Dick's just overjoyed that a babe is here, and he's like, hey, you want to see my motorcycle? Oh, no, I'm scared of motorcycles. Well, Barbara, why don't you stay with us here at Wade Manor? I dare you! I I promise I won't turn on any of the many hidden cameras that I have in this fortress, and we know from Batman 89 that Bruce Wayne has some hidden cameras in Wayne Manor, but hey, I'm sure it's all on the level. She agrees, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, That night, she tucks in Alfred, uh, she, he's Alfred's doing some computer work. She's like, Uncle Alfred, you need to go to bed. But all right, I, 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 I'll bite. What the fuck are you doing? Alfred is searching for the whereabouts of his brother, Wilfred. So let's just pause and take a look at the Pennyworth dynasty. Mr. and Mrs. Pennyworth, unknown. But they had three children that we know of. Alfred Pennyworth, who later became butler to the Waynes. Wilfred Pennyworth who we learn is the butler to a traveling court in Maharaja. And he's very hard to difficult. Very hard 
He's very difficult to find because they're always traveling around India in this floating court. Uncle Alfred, I don't think they have fax machines on elephants. That's a real line. And we have Margaret Pennyworth, who became Margaret Wilson, that died five years ago in a car crash and partied hard with Jay Gatsby doing some blow off of his dick, if legend is to be believed. Now, we know that Alfred's... Well, we all know that Alfred's looking for Wilfred. We'll learn later he's looking for him because he wants him to come be Bruce's butler and protect the Batman legacy because, you know, he's dying of McGregor syndrome. Excuse me. Uh, Alfred does go to bed, and Barbara sneaks out and steals a motorcycle. That's the whole point. The next day, Poison Ivy arrives in Gotham City in a gaudy pink car. Like, it's the pinkest car you've ever seen. And she's driving down the street, putting on a wig. Well, she's not driving. We'll get there. She's putting on a wig so she looks like Pamela Isley and not Poison Ivy. She's like, well, I think it's time to go find Bruce Wayne. I, According to the radio, he's at the Gotham Observatory. So, Bane, step on it. Bane, ladies and gentlemen, is driving the car wearing a chauffeur's hat. Yes, he's still wearing the Bane gimp mask. He's got the spikes everywhere. But he's... You, you, he's so he's got the fucking trench coat like Bane no one put this on no one will recognize you do we really care at this point are we surprised now we see the Gotham Observatory which from the bottom looks like a normal building but it's a building that's basically cut in half normal building on bottom on top a giant naked man holding a fucking dome that contains the world's largest telescope, which is being donated by a Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne has holding a press conference with his gal about town, Julie Madison, played by whatever supermodel, Elle McPherson. Sure, we'll go with that. He's like, well, my dad always said, look to the stars, so now all you poor bastards can look to the stars, enjoy the telescope. Gossip Gertie. Uh, who's played by the widow of Bob Kane, is like, Brucie, remember when I was in Batman Forever? And I was like, Brucie, I'm not annoying at all. When are you and Julie going to get married? Uh, married? Uh, <laughs> he stalls. Finally, Dr. Isley shows up, looking like Dr. Isley, and she's demanding to speak with Bruce Wayne. Uh, some security guards are like, you can't get that close to Bruce Wayne. But Bruce is like, oh, don't worry, boys. It's okay. I'm used to this sort of thing. I used to employ Edward Nigma, and he, he pulled this exact same stunt in Batman Forever. You may recall my earlier adventures, Batman Forever. So much of this movie is just a repositioning of shit that happened in Batman Forever. I wanted to talk about it, okay? But, you know, we're running a little long, so I'll just leave it at this. Most of these scenes in this film are direct parallels to scenes that appear in Batman Forever. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, Pammy is pissed that Bruce cut the funding. Yes, well, Dr. Woodrow and I had a little bit of a disagreement. You see, he was a lunatic. She offers Bruce a massive, massive document. It's her proposal for Wayne Enterprises to stop creating anything that's harmful to the environment. Where did she print this? And I'm not trying to be ridiculous, okay? But she burned down the lab, so she didn't have time to to type this bitch up and print it while the lab was burning down. I'm assuming her and Bane fled to a local airport where Bane flew the plane, and it rhymed, to Gotham City. 
Now, it's 1996, so the planes don't exactly have a lot of tech. I doubt there's a computer, ni a printer. Well, then, they arrived at the airport and killed a guy and stole his pink car and went right to the observatory. Maybe she always had this bad boy sitting around and her and Bane are in the jungle. And she's like, Bane, I forgot my proposal. It's in the lab. And they comically run through the jungle like... And they get into the lab and it's burning and shit's falling. They're looking for it. Bane, find it. Bane's foot catches on fire. He's like, oh. He's like bumping into shit and it's falling over. Bane, I found it. Let's go. And she she runs out on her and Bane's like, I mean, it's par for the course of this movie. It would fit perfectly fine. Bruce is sympathetic to her proposal. He's like, well, I agree. We need to do better as a species. But uh, your proposals, you know, if we just turn off the machine in one stroke, we'll do nothing but harm humanity and potentially kill millions. She's like, well, that doesn't sound so bad. She then gives a soliloquy about how Mother Nature will rise up on all of you humans. Gossip Gertie with a dynamite drop in. Oh, you must be new in town. Batman and Robin protect us, even from plants and flowers. Bruce is nice and puts a bow on this whole thing by inviting her to a Save the Rainforest costume ball, where Batman and Robin will be giving away the Wayne Diamonds. It's a trap! But we'll get there. Poison Ivy walks away defeated, and like all good villains do, she talks to herself so the audience can be made aware of her plans. Batman and Robin, militant arm of the warm-blooded oppressors, animal protectors of the status quo, first I'll rid myself of the fur and feathered pests, and then Gotham will be mine for the greening. I mean, this... Is straight out of Batman 66. This entire speech, I got no problems with it. Back at the snow phone, snow phone, snow cone factory, Mr. Freeze is watching some old home movies of him and his wife. Now, all you youngsters aren't there who don't know what home movies are. This is the equivalent of you sitting in your boxers in front of your computer at 4 a.m., accidentally liking the beach photos of your ex-girlfriend in her new bikini at 4 a.m. Now, you wanted to fucking, you know, save the photo, download it, and jerk to it later, but you accidentally liked it, and you can't undo that shit, folks. It happened. Don't don't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it happen, as a great Nero from Star Trek would say. This video, ladies and gentlemen, then cuts to Victor and Nora's wedding day. Because she's in a wedding dress and he's in a tux. The scene calls for Arnold Schwarzenegger to eat a piece of cake. And and Arnold Schwarzenegger, the person, does eat a piece of cake. But it's this very weird meta moment where Arnold is like, Alright, I have to eat the cake in this scene. I have to be acting like I'm eating cake. Because I've never seen anyone try so hard to look like they're eating a piece of cake. While they are actually eating a piece of cake. It's fascinating. Mr. Freeze, and all serious now, Mr. Freeze is trying to get himself to cry. He's trying to feel emotion. And the movie doesn't fucking dig into this, but 
you know his nerves and like his fucking synapses and shit are all frozen. So he can't feel anything. It's actually a step in the right direction for this character. But, you know, it's it's Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. So Frosty interrupts holding a newspaper. He's like, oh, boss, you got to see this, boss. Mr. Freeze shoots him with his freezing ray. And Mr. Freeze line, number 20. I hate when people talk during the movie. He then watches himself put a necklace on Nora in the home video. Who's filming this? Because Nora is sitting there. Victor is putting the necklace on her. Were they the subjects of an office-style documentary, perhaps? Hello, I'm Prison Freeze. <laughs> Lazy Gotham woke up in the late afternoon, gave a necklace to Nora. What are we gonna do? Gonna fuck all day in Gotham City. Yeah. Mr. Freeze line number 21. One more diamond, my love. One more. Freeze looks at Frosty's newspaper. Bruce Wayne Diamonds. Mm. Very nice. Hey everybody, Johnny C here. Sorry to interrupt the fucking fantastic proceedings. Uh, But if you're hearing this, that means you've come to the end of what I'm calling Junkman, Batman, and Robin Part 1. You see, this happens with art sometimes, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Zack Snyder didn't want to cut anything out of his four-hour Justice League, and that's fine, Zack, you do what you want, you're an artiste. I wouldn't go so far as to call myself an artiste, but here's the thing, folks. As I was editing together this podcast, I wanted to cut practically nothing out. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that to say that every shtick or nonsense or gag that I give is worth listening to. I know! Some of them suck. But... This movie has so many scenes that demand attention. They demand it because of what they do up there on the silver screen. I didn't want to cut anything out. And by my calculations, we're like almost an hour and a half into this thing. We've only covered, if my editing calculations are correct, like 38 minutes of the actual two-hour film. As of now, I don't know how many parts this episode is going to become. But if you've had fun, I want to say thank you so much for listening to Junkman, Batman, and Robin Part 1. And stay tuned as I sheepishly edit edit together this fucking insanely long re-look at Batman and Robin. And thank you so much for uh, indulging. And please come back for Part 2. And maybe, by the looks of it, part three. I'm sorry. What do you want from me? Would you rather I leave shit on the cutting room floor? Or would you rather I give you the full Batman and Robin experience? Oh, no time to answer that. I gotta go uh, back into the editing bay, if you will. But let's do the fu- let's do the uh, wrap-up stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the new TNN podcast feed so you get notified. When part two of Batman and Robin drops, and maybe part three of Batman and Robin, maybe part four too, I don't know. But uh, again, thank you, I love you, obviously. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. Come on, sing! Come on, sing, yes! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on, sing! 
louder! Come on, you're doing it, yes! Oh, you've done it! You're singing! You did so well! Yes, you should audition for American Idol! Is that still a thing? Come on, sing! Don't answer my questions! Sing! Sing! Come on, sing! Too much! That's a good job singing.